The Big 12 breakdown here on the Jones Sports. Joined by Thomas Bridges as we will go around the Big 12 conference and a number of things that we want to touch on. And first and foremost, with just about a week until college football begins in the Big 12, I want to kind of highlight some of the more high-profile non-conference games. Unfortunately, the Big 12 is not playing any week zero games. Uh, but conference play, you know, Games for the conference begin September 1st. And uh, on that night, you got Oklahoma State taking on Central Michigan. Oklahoma State should win that game pretty handily. But here's some of the games that come to mind. Tom, week one in the league isn't anything too exciting, to be honest. You got West Virginia Pitt on uh, opening night. Really good rivalry game there. Good test for uh, JT Daniels. And then uh, TCU and Colorado square off on uh, the next night, Friday, September 2nd. And then uh, the next day, September 3rd, is a bit of a dud. But those two games on Thursday and Friday of of next week, West Virginia Pitt, I'm very intrigued. We're going to see right away what J.P. Daniels is going to bring to West Virginia. To me, that is going to be fascinating to see uh, right out of the gates what he brings to the table and, how much he can elevate this West Virginia offense. We know he's got talent. I mean, if if you find your way to get a scholarship from USC and from Georgia, you're pretty good for a reason, but he still hasn't put it all together yet. Now it's uh, it's put up or shut up time for JT Daniels. And as uh, Neil Brown is on the hot seat there in uh, Morgantown. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, if Neil Brown doesn't get it together now, um, you know, he could really make a statement in terms of, of coming out this game. I mean, the backyard brawl, uh, you know, it had been going on for so long prior. Um, and, you know, it's been 11 years <clears throat> since that game has been played. Uh, at least I believe, yeah, I guess it would be in the regular season. I don't think they ever meant a bowl game. Um, but it's been 11 years since this game was played. And so this is the first meeting since forever. Um, and, and West Virginia has the, you know, they, they we've, I've always seen it. There was, you know, it was each pit and, uh, I've, I've heard it and I've seen it on Twitter. And so I'm excited to watch that game. Um, you know, you mentioned JT Daniels, this is his time to shine. I mean, what better, this would be, I think for West Virginia, I'm going to, it's not as serious, I don't think, but this would be like, this is their bedlam. Uh, you know, it's it's this is their rivalry game. I, I can't think of another team that West Virginia would have beef with quite like they do with Pitt. Um, so right out of the gate playing this game, uh, you know, we're going to be able to see what both these teams are made of. You know, Pitt coming obviously off a, a pretty decent year. And then, you know, you mentioned Neil Brown on the hot seat. Uh, there's there's, a, you know, lower stake, higher stake game type here. Uh, you know, not in, in the thick in the thick of things, this doesn't mean anything because neither of these teams are playoff bound. Um, but on the lower level of things, this this is a this is I'll be watching this one. Yeah, Pitt coming in as defending ACC champions and uh, a preseason ranking of 17th, the highest that they've been in quite some time. Uh, West Virginia is going to be tested right away. This is a good opening night matchup. College game day is going to be there. Uh, it'll be a fun way to start off the season between those two. TCU and Colorado, uh, that game there, interesting circumstance. Uh, 
you know, Sonny Dykes, the uh, the new head coach there at uh, at TCU, uh, is going to play. He says three quarterbacks in this game: Max Duggan, a senior; Chandler Morris, redshirt sophomore, formerly of Oklahoma; and then Sam Jackson, a redshirt freshman that apparently has impressed in camp at this point. Now, with that said, Tom, uh, there's a couple things that I take away from that. One, uh, what the hell is, is Sonny Dykes doing playing three quarterbacks? You know, two would have been uh, a lot as is. Three? I mean, my goodness, how's that offense going to find any rhythm? Two, Max Duggan, you're a senior now. How has he not secured this job at this point? As a senior at this point, if he can't put it together as the, you know, certain starting quarterback why is he still there and then three Chandler Morris I've always liked uh he impressed me with when he filled in for uh Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma when he did in that bowl game against Florida uh I think he's the best quarterback they got there I expect that Chandler Morris is going to be their guy uh when they get this all settled out if they pick the right quarterback it'll be Chandler Morris but it sounds like Sonny Dykes has a mess on his hands here. I mean, this this should be easier to figure out. He's making this more difficult than I think it has to be, Tom. Yeah, and it's it's maybe not the best look coming off, you know, his first real season, you know, after Gary Patterson is is left. And and you know, you take a look at TCU. I don't think they're contenders at all to win the Big Twelve, but you know, Colorado is no scrub either. You know, I I I think maybe take Colorado too lightly doing that. And Jones, you know, you have a, a line that you like to use that if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. If you have three quarterbacks, then what? Then you got negative one quarterbacks. There you go. That's that's math, folks. <laughs> that is. Uh, moving ahead, more notable games to look at. Week two, Iowa State taking on Iowa. Iowa State's loss, what is it, six or seven straight? to Iowa. Last year, Iowa State was a preseason top five team, and Iowa came in and kicked their ass. And both teams are expected to be down from what they were, you know, kind of rebuilding of sorts. But if Iowa State was going to beat Iowa, last year would have been the year, and they still could not get it done. As much good as we've talked about Matt Campbell, the job that he's done at Iowa State, he still hasn't beat Iowa yet at this point. Um, Tom, th- this kind of reminds me of Bedlam in a sense with OU and OSU. I mean, it. I have no reason to pick Iowa State until they show me otherwise. Last year, they they blew a golden goose there. Yeah, and you know, we we talk about this, or at least I do. I know the past two seasons, I said it. I said it last year, and I know for a fact I said it the year before because I believe that's when the Raging Cajuns got them. Um, you know, and I I. Damn sure, no, I said it last year. You can, we can go back and listen. I said, Jones, listen, this Iowa State team, they always start off slow for They're some reason. They're bad in September. Yeah, I mean, they are. I mean, you know, no more Brock Purdy either. You know, they, I think, was it maybe even two years ago or maybe even three years ago, Northern Iowa guy gave him a scare. Uh, and I think Iowa State pulled it off. I'm trying to think when that game was. But, you know, so – they always start off bad in September. They can't seem to put it together. And then, you know, you're 
famous on the show for having a hard on for Brock Brocktober. So no more Brocktober. I, I do see the similarities, unfortunately, with Matt Campbell and Mike Gundy. Uh, just just because it's like, well, when you're supposed to be good, or I mean, last year for Iowa State reminded me of of Mason Rudolph's final season. Yeah, uh, Oklahoma State was supposed to be so good, and they were not bad, but they definitely did not live up to the hype. And you know, without Brock Purdy now, uh, without Charlie Kolar, without uh, Brees Hall, I I I don't know where they're going to find the outfit. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, Texas taking on Alabama, going to be on a big noon kickoff. Uh, you know, huge game, the biggest home game in Austin in a long time with the number one team coming into town. Maybe the biggest home game ever, uh, quite frankly, that, that they've ever had uh, with, with this Alabama team coming into town. And, you know, Quinn Ewers is going to get the start. And this Alabama team is so stacked with Bryce Young and Will Anderson and, and everybody there. Tom, I, I feel like I'm mentally preparing myself now in that if, if Texas keeps it close, within 10 even, we're going to hear all the hype about, wow, look, Texas went toe-to-toe with the number one team. I mean, would it be embarrassing if they got blown out for, for the league, for the Big 12? I mean, sure it would. But selfishly, I'm like – Alabama, just go ahead and do Alabama. Do your thing. Put the thumping on Texas, and then people can shut up about Texas. Because, I mean, even if they come within a touchdown or, or 10 points, whatever, Alabama, that doesn't necessarily mean that Texas is any good. It just means that they were good on that day, you know, that they were, they were good enough to contend. At home and everything, Texas should be able – to, to keep this within 10 points, uh, you would think. But knowing this team, I, I feel like there's a very good chance that this is going to get ugly in the second half. And uh, that, that Alabama team is just far superior. And, and, and I think better coach more than anything. I, I, this is a tall task for anybody to face Alabama, let alone a freshman quarterback in Quinn Ewers in his second career start yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's going to be tough, and and you know, I think for for Texas, I think you have to. If this was Oklahoma State playing, I would I would think of it this way, because uh, I don't. I mean, Texas fans, a lot of them are not the brightest, and a, a lot of them are also Dallas Cowboy fans, <laughs> uh, and so it's always you know it's very very similar between Austin and Dallas in terms of this is our year, or we're you know Dallas's line, Dallas Cowboys line is this is our year, and. University of Texas's line is we're back. Uh, it's pretty much saying the same thing. And so I, I think if you're a rational Texas fan, like I said, if this is Oklahoma State, even playing in Stillwater, I would say, listen, if we can lose by less 17 or less, I'm taking that as a, a, as a, as a win in my book. I'm saying, you know what? We have no business. Texas has no business being in Alabama. Even in Austin, I, I think it's sold out. There's going to be over 100,000 people there. It's going to be electric. Uh, it's going. I think it's going to even be loud, but it's it's not going to phase them. Uh, Alabama is going to be too much for them. You know, maybe later on in the season, 
if Texas could, you know, work out some kinks, you know, Stark's still working out the kinks. And you mentioned Quinn Ewers' his second career start. I mean, maybe further on in the season they could play closer, but I think you're absolutely right. The second half, it, it could get ugly. Yeah, it very well could. Uh, Texas is uh, going to be in for an interesting <laughs> awakening there, uh, going up against this Alabama team and, uh selfishly I, I hope that alabama wins big just so we can shut up about texas and not have any build up towards but towards uh red river about you know wow look texas is back they went toe-to-toe with bama you know i mean put put them in their place uh alabama um also that week houston taking on texas tech houston is a preseason top 25 team and uh, Texas Tech with the new head coach and uh, McGuire, the uh, assistant from Baylor, that they brought over there. The game is in Lubbock. We saw these two teams play recently where Texas Tech beat Houston in Houston. And I, I feel like, Tom, you know, you know they're going to be Big 12 members together starting next year. It's almost like getting a head start on things with these two going up head-to-head. I feel like Houston and Texas Tech – could be good measuring sticks of each other. Houston, a bigger market, maybe more easier to bring talent. Texas Tech, more of an established name. Uh, you know, got a huge uh, NIL collective of you know, 25 grand per player there. Um, to me, I, I think these programs are going to be very comparable here. And, and uh, Dana Holgerson, I'm excited about having him in the Big 12, but let's see what uh, – what they have for Texas Tech. This is, a, this is a very good measuring stick, I think, for both teams here. Yeah, I think you can compare them and, and be very similar. I think this is going to be a pretty good game. Uh, you know, I, I inclinations more so probably towards Tech, but I, I like the measuring stick comparison. Yeah, I think so. Arizona State and uh, OSU. Tom and I are going to be at that game. It's, uh, it's a primetime game that Saturday night. September 10th. And Tom, uh, Arizona State, they lost Jaden Daniels to LSU, uh, lost a lot of talent. I mean, they are not a good football team. Oklahoma State should be able to have their way. And, you know, if, if Spencer Sanders takes care of the football and this OSU defense plays like they're capable of, uh, this could be a long night for Arizona State. I, I, I don't think that they can hang with the physicality of this Oklahoma State team. No, neither do I, and and I think this is a good primer game. I mean, it's going to be better talent um, recruiting-wise or player-wise than what they would see from Central Michigan, knock on wood, and what they'll see even in week three versus Arkansas Pine Bluff. So I, I think this is, at least for the OSU coaching staff, is where they're going to uh, make their money, so to speak, in terms of, of seeing who's who and it, out of the non-con games OSU plays, you know, I would I would take Arizona State over Central Michigan, and I'd take Arizona State over Arkansas Pine Bluff of all teams. So I, I think this is where OSU is going to get their most uh, kind of analysis of who they got or uh, kind of putting the final pieces together before they would go play in Waco in week four. Uh, week two, you also have K-State taking on Mizzou. Uh, K-State – I think that the hype train is starting to build the last couple of weeks about them as a surprise team, a sleeper team in the Big 12. You take on this Mizzou team that 
is not very good. Um, K-State should win this game, Tom, but even with them expected to win, I think this would do a lot for morale, and, and especially when you talk about recruiting in Kansas City and everything. If, if K-State, this win could do a lot for them of even in the future of where things are going with Mizzou and the SEC and the direction of that, K-State, we, we know that KU's, you know, still a ways back from both these schools right now. K-State has an opportunity to, to build some momentum on the recruiting trail with this with this win if they can get this done. I think in, in that early in the season, they could get, you know, a nice, maybe not a big momentum builder, but definitely a confidence boost if they can go out and take care of business against Mizzou. I, I think they should, but Deuce Vaughn and uh, they have they have a pretty good defensive player. I, forgive me, I forget who it is, but yeah, I think he won some preseason award. Um, so I, I think they got a decent foundation. Be interesting to see how they they do at quarterback. Yeah, yeah that's kind of an issue for the last several years with the Skylar Thompson carousel. Right, they're going to Adrian Martinez, the former Nebraska quarterback. We know he's talented, um, but can he take care of, of the football? That remains to be seen. Baylor takes on BYU in week two. And Baylor is getting a lot of hype. A lot of people like what this Baylor team brings to the table, despite only bringing back 12 starters from last year's team. Blake Shapin uh, looked really good in that Big 12 championship game. But a BYU team that's preseason top 25, future Big 12 member going out there uh, to Provo. It's a night game. This feels spooky. The Baptists versus the Mormons. Tom, this is a total trap game for Baylor here. Um, would not shock me at all if BYU win, wins this game and if they win from start to finish. It's not a knock on Baylor. I think that BYU is a good football team. They're well coached. And, uh, you know, the, the, it, it's, it's tough. On the road in Provo at night, uh, get used to it. The, these are games the Big 12 is going to have to get used to of these Nine o'clock kickoffs out in Provo is uh, going to be some of the toughest environments, I think, in the conference going forward. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, and it's going to be uh, – it's, it's it's most definitely a trap game. And, and being so early, you know, BYU is going to want to come out and make a statement against the past Big 12 winner before they get into the Big 12. Um, you know, I'm sure if BYU does pull it off, we will not be hearing the end of – Oh, we beat Baylor, and we, you know, they'll be talking a lot of very uh, clean trash talk coming in the next year if they can pull this off. Um, and I know they're going to want to. Uh, I mean, I'd I'd love to see the spread on this, or I can't wait to see the spread when it comes out because I bet it's BYU, or I bet it's Baylor by three. Yeah, yeah, I, I could see that. Uh, you move on to week three. OU takes on Nebraska, that game in Lincoln. And OU got quite the scare last year, losing – or not losing, uh, beating Nebraska, but in a very close game. And it was kind of a sign for the rest of the season. Oklahoma was not blowing teams out last year. Even when they made the quarterback change, went to Caleb Williams, that OU team was barely squeaking by. And that Nebraska team last year, despite only winning three games, they played – Everybody close, including Ohio State. You go into Lincoln, Nebraska's got much higher expectations this year. Some people are saying they could even win the division potentially there in the Big Ten. That might be a reach, but you bring in Casey Thompson, former Texas quarterback, Oklahoma, 
uh, new head coach and, and Brent Venables, new quarterback and uh, Dylan Gabriel and everything. Um, th- this Tom uh, rivalry game and everything, we don't know if OU and Nebraska are going to play again for a while here. Um, th- this We mentioned trap game earlier with Baylor and BYU. This is a trap game here. This, this I think, is going to be tougher than people realize if Oklahoma going on the road to, to Lincoln in this game here. This, this, this game, I think, is going to be pretty close. I think it could be, too. And, you know, I, I, I would assume who does Nebraska will play in Ireland this Saturday. Yes. And they would have, I'm assuming, a week off. Uh, Nebraska is uh, – no, they're playing three straight games before they play OU. So they play an extra game before OU does. We'll see. I'll be interested to see how they play in Ireland versus Northwestern, but I, I think you're right. I think it is going to be closer. I think Venables and Gabriel still will need to be working some things out. OU plays UTEP first, so not a very tough challenge by any by any means. I mean, it's that should be a cakewalk there. But uh, you know, I guess I guess Nebraska in that case, if they're going to Ireland, coming back, and then the next week later playing again, and then then OU. I think that that Nebraska will will see what they're made of. Yeah, I think so. Um, also, that week Texas Tech takes on NC State. Tough non-con for Texas Tech, uh, and this NC State team is getting a lot of love. The best NC State team, maybe since Philip Rivers was on campus or Russell Wilson. I mean, preseason top thirteen. The games on the road there. Um, if you're Texas Tech, at least you already know who you are. You've played a top 25 team in Houston just a couple of weeks prior, but that's a, that's a tough start to the season for the Red Raiders, Tom, with those non-conference games there. Yeah, it's a tough tough out, too, for McGuire coming in his first real year as the coach of, of, of the Texas Tech Red Raiders. I mean, you're not going to find a, a tougher task uh, with the talent you have at Tech and being under a brand new coach. So I, I you know, I, I do like tech um, maybe not in this game, but just in general to get better than they were last year, but still it's tough out. Yeah. And uh, then last non-conference game I'll mention here week four, West Virginia takes on Virginia tech in Blacksburg credit to the Mountaineers. We talked about tough non-conference schedules. They're playing two of their biggest rivals, and they're playing them both on the road. Uh, Virginia Tech's not expected to be that great of a team this year, but it's a rivalry game. Um, you're already going to have the pit game under your belts and everything. Um, it, it, I, I'll tell you, we're going to know everything we need to know about JT Daniels and West Virginia by week four. When they have two rivalry games in their, under their belt like that, um, you know, the Big Big 12 play, they're, they're going to be – ready right away we're we're going to look at other teams and big 12 play is going to be quite a step up with some teams playing easy non-conference schedules west virginia they might take a couple l's in these non-conference games but they're certainly going to be battle testing when they enter conference play yeah that's the truth and you know you said tech is not going to be well virginia tech that is is not going to be they're not expected to be that great this year uh, and I, I agree. It, for just from looking at them, the eye test, it seems like they probably won't be 
anything too exciting or anything too crazy. But I'll, I'll tell you what, just from watching on TV, I can tell you that the Hokie fans still go crazy and that that atmosphere is not going to be one that you would want to play in. Yeah, I, I can guarantee you that Mountaineers wish they were, you know, back home on the country roads for at least one of those games. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, coming up in uh, just a few moments from right now, Clint Shelf is going to stop by. We'll get his thoughts on uh, the Oklahoma State Cowboys and to go around the uh, Big 12 Conference with Clint. But before we do, uh, real quick, a great article was uh, put together this week by our friends at Heartland College Sports. And uh, the guys at uh, Heartland went around and had a drink from every Big 12 school, the most popular drink. And uh, here's what they were, in case you didn't know. Um, Tom, Texas is uh, Tito's Vodka. I, I don't know anybody that hates Tito's Vodka. I mean, that's, that, that's yeah. a pretty safe bet, right? Yeah, I mean, it's made right there in Austin. You know, that's a – I mean, it's, it's you know, Tito's and soda and lime is a, is a classic – Classic drink, so I, I can see that. That's an easy one. Um, for Texas Tech, a Chimmy's Margarita. I guess uh, Chimmy's is a uh, it's a chain uh, that uh, started based in uh, Lubbock, and uh, they get a pretty good margarita. Tom, uh, for, for me, a margar a good margarita. You got to have some tahini on the rim. Uh, that, that's one thing since I moved to Texas that has changed me. I, I've become a tahini guy. Yeah, I can see that. That would be good. I'd take tahini over salt any day. And, and you know, I'm looking at this article, too, because, because there's there's a Chimmy's in Tulsa. There's, I think there's two or three, actually. But this one is spelled – this Lubbock one is spelled C-H-I-M-Y-S. And the ones in Tulsa are C-H-I-M-I-S. So – and I've had the one – I've had the I-M-I-S ones here in Tulsa. Not that great. So – if I ever get down to Lubbock, I'll have to try the chimneys with a Y. So for KU, um, the the drink that was brought up was uh, bourbon and Coke, which, you know, I mean, yes, that I, I have seen that around Lawrence uh, from time to time, but Everclear is usually the, uh, the the drink of choice in Lawrence. You know, it's it's a clear spirit, about 190 proof. Um, but for me, if, if we're really going based on Lawrence, I mean, my visits, Tom, are to the 23rd Street Brewery and getting the Crimson Fog and getting those fresh beers on tap. That's what I think of when I think Lawrence and, and alcohol. And you got Boulevard there. I mean, uh, with with uh, Boulevard Wheat and all that. I mean, I, I would say that Lawrence and Kansas City, we're, we're known for our beer more than our spirits. Yeah, I can see that. And, and you know, I have a really good friend that uh, – that, that lives in Bartlesville that I, that I see when I go back home and he's a big KU fan and he goes all the time to Lawrence and uh, he, he's a big bar crawl guy and he's always posting Snapchats or Instagram stories. And, and I, I have seen him post um, that he doesn't really go in football season for obvious reasons. It's a waste of gas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basketball season, I see him up there all the time, and he'll be on Mass Street, and I do see him post, oh, the classic bourbon and Coke. Um, so I do see that, but you're right about the beer. I'm just, I, that could have been either or. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. 
Uh, Iowa State, probably the easiest guess of any of them on here, Bush Light. And, you know, Bush Light, Tom, you get what you pay for. It's cheap. It's not terrible, uh, but it gets the job done. Uh, Iowa State and Bush Light, I I don't know if you can name a better duo. I don't know if there's a school that loves a beverage more than Iowa State fans love Bush Light. I mean, that's very true, and it was – Seemed apparent like they pushed it. You know, I, a, a funny story about Bushlight too. I, Jones, I was DJing this little event and uh, in Bortlesville, a little summer get together on their green space, and it was money went to a good cause. And they had twenty dollars all you could drink beer, and they had Michelob, Bushlight, and some other like cheap beer, maybe like PBR. But it all went to a good cause. So I bought me a cup. And I asked the lady, she, I was asking what they had. She goes, Michelob, PBR. And then she goes, I think she was in the moment. She goes, Bush Latte. And, and she's quickly corrected herself to, oh, Bush Light. And I was like, no, I'll have a Bush Latte. <laughs> she was, I mean, she was, she was probably close, pushing 50. So she was, you could tell she was very, she was red in the cheeks, but I loved it. Uh, TCU. Uh, over in Fort Worth. I'll have to try this because uh, I'm not too far away now. Uh, I guess their staple is called a purple shot, which includes Tito's, sweet and sour, Gatorade, some syrup of some sorts. Uh, uh, blue, blue, blue curacao. Yeah, I've never heard of this, but I'd give it a shot. I think it, could, it wouldn't be too bad. I, I'm looking at his, his at this post, though. And at first, when you told me about this, before I went and checked it out, I was thinking they like went to an establishment in each of these cities, and it just looks like they just made him at home, which, uh, I mean, in my opinion, takes away a little bit of credibility. But obviously, you know, you can't just fly out to West Virginia on a whim um, just for a drink, right? Um, and, you know, Artland's based out of Kansas City, so it's not like you're going to drive to Fort Worth for – this purple shot um but it does look interesting it doesn't look necessarily like a shot it looks like more like a uh a crazy mixed drink yes uh baylor balcones uh bourbon 92 proof with a honey apple and a caramel taste of sorts and uh, i can't imagine that baylor's easy to kind of pick an alcohol for but uh uh it's distilled there in uh, waco and tom that, that sounds like an odd taste for uh for whiskey i i usually don't think of honey apple and caramel when it comes to a, a whiskey i do think of caramel just because of the oak and a lot of a lot of the whiskeys that i have you can get some oakiness and some caramel notes even some of them have like a coffee flavor on the back end but uh yeah i haven't tried this i've you know i'm obviously a big fan of whiskey but i have not had this yet um so and and i'm thinking about going to waco for oklahoma state at baylor october 1st so maybe i'll give a report back maybe i'll try this if i go down there uh west virginia they're burning couches and they're drinking moonshine and uh, the article that Hartland's got, they're showing Old Smoky, which is good, but it's not real moonshine. It's the, the store brought brand uh, stuff. But I mean, Tom, Jones, you've I had real. Like, I feel like we could have a dangerous night 
in, in West Virginia if we just embraced all that West Virginia has to offer, Tom? You know, I had plane tickets last year to go to Oklahoma State in Morgantown, and I I held back and canceled them about a month prior and decided to save my money. But um, that was one of the, the, the points that I wanted to go. I wanted to go drink moonshine in that stadium. Um, and I know I think the couch burning has kind of pulled back a little bit than what it was maybe early on um, or in the early 2000s, mid-2000s. Um, but you know, I, I, I know why they get wild. Some I've heard, I've heard West Virginia fans are really very nice. And then I've heard some horror stories and, you know, maybe that's because of the shine, uh, and Jones, both of us have, have had the real shine, not the old smoky moonshine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, courtesy of your father, uh, John Bridges and it does not disappoint. Yes. Maybe we'll send some down to chat sports. Hey, I, I could go for some moonshine. A moonshine boot? No, Ooh. you'd be you'd be in the hospital. <laughs> yeah, I would be. Uh Tom, your your school, Oklahoma State, the Limey. Tell me about the Limey. Limey's a you know, vodka based drink and you know, he looks like he kind of has it down. There's probably like some I, you know, I've tried I've watched him make Limey several times, but the time that I decided to get a Limey it's at the Cooper Penny, right? The, the Copper Penny, yeah. Copper Penny, yeah. And so looking at his picture, it does kind of look like a limey. There's for one, I can I'll be I'll be critical here just because I can be. It's not as a styrofoam cup one. I can tell you any Oklahoma State person that sees this would be like, nope, it's not real. It's not a styrofoam cup. Um, but you can get I, I really prefer the cherry limeade limey. And because they have like several, you can get pretty much any flavor. I've had, I always go with the watermelon one or the cherry limeade one when I go. Um, but it's a vodka based drink. Um, there's some other like sweeter kind of syrups in it or like sweeter liqueurs in it. Um, and then, like I said, it's topped with some flavoring. Um, and they come in, a, he he's, looks like he's got the size right though. It comes in a 32 ounce styrofoam cup. Um, this isn't a styrofoam cup, I get it. He's posting it for clarity in terms of what it looks like, but big points and would be up to him uh, if he could get a styrofoam cup. That that would be that's a real limey. Well, Jones, we'll drink a limey when we go to Arizona State. Okay, vodka, sweet and sour mix, uh, Sprite, lime juice. Yeah, it looks pretty good. Um, OU, the swirl, margarita and sangria swirled together. Um, you can get it at the Mont there in uh, Norman. Tom, I've never heard of this, but it sounds like an interesting idea. It does sound interesting. And, and you know, I, I've i seen margaritas swirled with um, like a strawberry daiquiri type frozen mix. I've seen those two swirled together. I have not seen sangria swirled into a margarita, but honestly can't be too, doesn't look like it'd be too bad. No, not at all. Uh, and it's uh, with the swirl, you get OU's colors, crimson and cream in the uh, drink. Last one here, K-State, the Nancy, which is supposed to be uh, PBR and pineapple juice mixed together. And uh, it's either – actually, I take that back, not PBR. Bushlight or uh, Old M Milwaukee, um, which – 
is uh, is the choice there with uh, with pineapple juice. That uh, that one doesn't sound too appetizing. I'll be honest there, Tom. You know, in the article, it says it tastes like a fruity Hawaiian beer, almost mimosa like. You know, Jones, I I don't know if you've seen the uh, the TikTok trend, or I've seen the one where the guy had the bush light mixed with Mountain Dew. I could definitely see this being somewhat similar to that. I would try this. I can't imagine it would be the best, but I, I would try this. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Well, there you have it. That's a, a very interesting look at the uh, most popular drinks among the uh, Big 12 Conference and its members. Coming up next, Clint Shelf is set to join us as we'll get his thoughts on the Big 12 Conference and break down Oklahoma State. He'll be here on the other side. Stay with us. Joining us now, the Jones Sport this week, front of the show, is back Clint Shelf, former Oklahoma State quarterback, also with the Oklahoma State radio network on their pregame coverage, and uh, excited to have him on and talk about all things happening with the Pokes and around the rest of the Big 12 as Clint Shelf joins us right now. Clint, glad to have you back, man, and uh, some exciting times for you. You got a, a newborn at home, right? That's right. Yeah, it's good to be back. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, things have changed a little bit in my world. We have a five month old daughter now in our household. So uh, it's keeping me keeping me busy. And uh, I can't wait to sit on the couch with her and watch a little football. (laughs) And and I'm sure she'll be an an OSU fan and a Thunder fan uh, down the line, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She doesn't really have an option there. That's great, Clint. Excited for you uh, and your family. Uh, that's great there. Uh, Clint, uh, this offseason, here we are uh, just, you know, what is it, over a week away from the full slate of football games. We'll have a week zero games this week, but an eventful offseason with all these changes in a college football from NIL to the transfer portal to uh, USC and UCLA moving to the Big Ten here. I mean, I don't know if, if there's ever been this much change involved in the sport right now, Clinton. Yeah, not that I can remember. Uh, it, it almost doesn't even seem like, you know, the same the same atmosphere, the same, not necessarily game, but what we used to play. You know, I mean, it was it was pretty steady there. And, and if anything happened, uh, it was usually minor compared to what hap- what's happening now with all the, the teams leaving conferences. And it sounds like, you know, this is just the beginning. Uh, from, from, I saw a report yesterday that the, the Big Ten has still got its sights set on a couple Pac-12 teams. So, um, you know, I, I think there's there's a changing landscape and it's just going to keep evolving uh, more and more as we as we continue into the season. Yeah. And uh, in Oklahoma State situation, it looks like that they're pretty well set in the Big 12 for now and unless we hear otherwise. But the future of the Big 12 feels like it it's stabilized over the last couple of months. It does. Yeah. You know. Uh, obviously Texas and Oklahoma were the first two big pillars to fall and and now USC and UCLA have moved. But um, for a while there, you know, it's like big 12, what are we going to do? Who's going to absorb us? Where are we going to go? We're all fighting for, uh, you know, those, those few spots. And and now, yeah, it really does. It feels, it feels like uh, we've kind of stabilized, got some new leadership um, and, you know, the Pac-12, I think I think USC and UCLA moving is as bad as that's going to be for the Pac-12 and, and, you know, the tradition that they have. I think that that move could could possibly help uh, the Big 12. You know, I think if if the Big 10 gets a couple more teams out of there, then, then some of those teams will be looking to stabilize. And, and the Big 12 looks looks pretty good right now to them. 
Yeah, and and with that said, of possible teams, I know that the four corner schools, uh, Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, have been kind of the ones linked to the Big 12 over the you know last month or so. Uh, for you, Clint, uh, what, what, what comes to mind? What would you like to see potentially? Who do you think of, of maybe out, out west would be a good fit for this league if it were to expand, take some Pac-12 teams? Yeah, I think I think those four teams are are perfect. Um, you know, obviously adding BYU, if you get Utah, I think that's a natural rivalry rivalry that helps out. Um, you know, in the state of Utah, and then I, you know, Colorado left right as I was getting to Stillwater, so I never got to go uh, to Boulder and play up there. They, I think they played there maybe right before I left the year before. So uh, always looking forward to, to you know bringing a team like Colorado back, and and you know the Arizona schools. Um, you know, they're, they're pretty solid all around. I think they can be a big market for, for the Big 12, and it's good to have a pair of them together. So, um, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head. Those four teams, I think, fit pretty well geographically. Obviously not perfect with, uh, you know, where West Virginia is, but as good as you're probably going to get in this landscape. Yeah, and, and what I find interesting, too, as far as, like, you know, taking a step back and, you know, the, the vision of this league, you know, with Oklahoma and Texas gone, um, Oklahoma State's athletic department as a whole is as good as any of these schools remaining and the facilities and the money. Um, I mean, there's a chance, Clint, you know, I mean, you talk about being the power broker or whatnot. OSU very well might be the flagship university of this new Big 12 here. Yeah, it could be. Um, you know, there, there's still a lot of, of, of really good schools and really good athletic departments, but you know, I know I've gotten to know Chad Weiberg um, in his tenure at, at Oklahoma State, the athletic director, and um, Casey Shrum, the new president. And you know, they, it's a priority to them, and 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 they want to be on the forefront. And they want to be in those conversations, and I think that's what you need is is those those people in the leadership positions to uh, to be innovative and, and to be creative and and to keep pushing those boundaries and pushing your school to be better. And and they've done a great job with. Um, with, with facilities, with, with fundraising for money, and, and Oklahoma State really is positioned really well. We, we, we've had a lot of success in a lot of different sports the last last few years, um, and and I think that that mantle is going to be taken up by somebody. I think it has to be to, to keep the conference running at, at what we think it could be, and, um, you know, I'm really excited for the future. Yeah, and there's uncertainty about the future of Bedlam. Well, more than likely won't be played for at least a while anyway, but not being in the same conference as Oklahoma, and we mentioned kind of being potentially the face of the Big 12, Clint. Do you think uh, this could be beneficial to OSU, uh, possibly to maybe even stand out more of sorts? Uh, do you think it could be beneficial to be out of OU and Texas' shadow a bit maybe here? You know, that's tough because anytime you play those teams, and, and obviously this is the reason they're leaving, you're going to get more eyeballs, right? And they're right. the big draw. And, and so when you play with them, you get more eyeballs, and that's good exposure for your school. But, um, you know, anytime that you have a better opportunity to hang conference banners, that's also going to help, right? And, and having, having an OU who, who's been, you know, dominant in football for the last, you know, however many years, um, that, that, that'll give you more exposure, right? You, you hang those banners, then you get more exposure. But – um, yeah, you know, it's just kind of a, a, a sad deal, a bad deal for, for the time being. I do think that at some point, if it goes away, that it will have to be brought back. I think I don't, you know, once everything kind of stabilizes and the schedules, you know, you get those figured out, then you can start planning and then, uh, you know, working that in. So, 
It is a it is a good opportunity for Oklahoma State, and I think you know, like we just talked about, that we're positioned well to, to kind of fill those spots along with you know maybe a Baylor or um, you know some of the other premier programs that are in the Big Twelve. Yeah, yeah, certainly so. So Clint, uh, let's let's talk football on on the gridiron now uh, for your folks, the Oklahoma State Cowboys here in 2022. Uh, Spencer Sanders coming in as the reigning Big Twelve Offensive Player of the Year, but. I think everybody's still thinking about that four interception performance he had in the Big 12 title game. What do we need to see out of Spencer Sanders here in his uh, senior year at Oklahoma State? Consistency. I think that's really, really the only thing that's left, the, the final piece of the puzzle for him. You know, you look at the last two games from last year, right? You think it, you, you talked about the four interception Baylor game in the Big 12 championship, but then you look at the Fiesta Bowl and what he did against Notre Dame, especially in that second half and, and put up maybe one of the, the best uh, quarterback performances in, in Oklahoma State history. So, you know, I think it for him, he's going to need to be really consistent. It's going to be a young wide receiver group, possibly some run, young running backs. So uh, he's going to have to to be that steady Eddie, be that guy that kind of keeps everybody even keel throughout the season because there's going to be some highs and there's going to be some lows. And I think you know, he, he's got all the talent in the world, and I think he's put that on display many times. But you've got to you've got to control it and, and avoid the big miss and the big mistake. So um, I think he understands that. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten better at that. But if he stays consistent, I think the, the Oklahoma State offense should be pretty good. Yeah. And you, you mentioned some of the young guys in the, in the receiving core. You know, I, I'm excited, Clint, about the Presley brothers there. Uh, I mean, you, you've seen them right there, what, what they did at Bigsby, and already the older one, of course, was uh, emerging, and you bring in uh, the second one now. I mean, that's going to be a, a dynamic one-two punch, I think, with, with those guys. Yeah, I always like to see see uh, brothers play on the same field, and, and uh, you know, that's something that Colton and I got to do. So, uh, you know, yeah, they're, they're very, very exciting players, both of them. Both of them are electric. I, I think back about the the catch against Iowa State that Brennan had last year, and uh, they're just they're just extremely talented, and they're the, they're the guys that uh, a quarterback really likes because they're friendly. They get open. Uh, you know, those quick slot guys are, are are really kind of a quarterback's best friend because it's hard to cover those guys, and they can get one to two yards of separation. You don't always have to worry about throwing up a 50-50 ball. They can usually get open. So. Um, yeah, there's some exciting young talent, uh, and, and Coach Dunn will do a good job of uh, developing that. And it seems like we've always got a few guys that step up at wide receiver, and, and I expect that to, to continue this year. The running back position for OSU, I mean, has been so solid with sending guys consistently to the pros. Even even most recently, Jalen Warren, who didn't get drafted, all of a sudden looks like he's going to be on the Steelers' active roster and the 53-man and has impressed – in the preseason, it seems. So with that, now, you know, turning to another running back with uh, with Dominic Richardson and with DeAndre Jackson, how are those guys going to fit in uh, to uh, this great history of OSU running backs we've seen as a light? Do you think these guys are going to get it done? I do. Uh, you know, I really like the way the way Dom runs. Um, he, he's gotten to some big games last year and, and ran well um, as, as a younger guy. So, um, you know, I really expect him to kind of just step in and fill that fill that role. Um, I, I think he's got he's got enough talent. He runs hard. He hits it downhill, and, and he's not fun to tackle. I don't know if you saw some of his highlights from last year, but but he he is is punishing and physical when he runs, and I think that's what you need. But you know, it all it all 
revolves around the offensive line, right? And and our guys have been really good run blocking in the, in the last few years, and I expect them to to be good run blockers again this year and open up holes and, and then let those running backs kind of hit it how they how they do. Yeah, uh, and and with with what Gundy does, you know, with the running backs, it's it's not just that, but the the whole cowboy back thing. Clint, uh, uh, you know Mike Gundy. Uh, what what is this? In case people don't know, I mean, it's the the tight end H back hybrid, but you're kind of asked to do things of both. I mean, what? How does the the cowboy back <laughs> position? How would you explain it to the uh, the folks at home that may not understand what OSU is doing here with those guys and their impact on the run and pass game? Uh, I think it's pretty simple. I would just explain it as uh, a rebranded and OSU branded tight end, <laughs> pretty much. I mean, they, they do light up in the backfield a little bit more, but I think as you look across uh, not only college football, NFL, tight ends are asked to do more and more. Uh, they're kind of a, a, a position that can create some mismatches. And so when you have somebody talented, you want to put them in as many different positions to give as many different looks as you possibly can. So, uh, yeah, I think I would just consider it uh, a tight end. I guess you could call it a tight end fullback. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a well-branded uh, position for the Cowboys. I was hoping that would catch on, that other schools all of a sudden would have the Cowboy back position, you know, but it doesn't seem like that was the case. Was <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Even like, you know, a school like Wyoming, you know, that it's the Cowboys or something too, but uh, that it didn't occur. So with that, uh, let's talk defense now. Uh, you, you move on, a new defensive coordinator coming in, Derek Mason from Auburn. Uh, after you know, the, the years of success this, this defense had, uh, what can uh, what, what do you expect out of Derek Mason here? How's, is the defense going to look different compared to what we saw last year and one of the best defenses in the country uh, back in 2021? Yeah, I think any time uh, that you take a coordinator that's as hands-on as Jim Knowles was and replace yeah. him, that, that the defense is going to look, look different. And that different doesn't necessarily mean worse or better. It's just going to be Derek Mason's defense, right? And, uh, you know, as, as, as assistant coaching and, and coordinators go, I think that he's by far the most – high-profile, talented guy that they've probably brought in, right? And, and uh, so I'm really excited to see see what he does. And, and you know, I think Oklahoma State's still going to have one of the better D-lines in the country, you know, getting Trace Ford back and, and returning a bunch of guys. And, uh, you know, as you break in some of the newer or not necessarily young, but but less experienced guys in the secondary, the be their best friend is going to be a good pass rush, right? They don't have to cover right. as long. Um, you get quarterbacks under, under duress throwing balls up in the air. So – um, you know, I think it starts up front with that defensive line, and, and I expect uh, uh, Derek Mason to, to build those guys up and to put them in, in, in great positions to, to help out that secondary. Yeah, uh, Trace Ford, uh, Colin Oliver, I mean, all these guys up there, I mean, they're, they're going to be able to have uh, quite the pass rush, it seems. Yeah, uh, those two guys are, are pretty good. I, I was excited to, you know, in, the, in this crazy world of, of NIL and, you know, other schools throwing bags of money. I was really excited that Colin Oliver, uh, you know, decided to say, I have no idea if somebody offered him a bunch of money or not, or wanted him to leave. I, I assume that everybody would have been calling on, on, on his cell to, to get him to come, but yeah, that's going to be a really, really formidable pass rush with those two guys. And, uh, you know, I, I'm excited last year watching that defense. And then now you get to see Malcolm Rodriguez play on, on hard knocks and see kind of what all he he's about. Just, it was really exciting. And, you know, we're so used to it at Oklahoma state, 
not necessarily uh, not wanting to watch defense, but but really tuning in when the offense is on the field. And last year kind of felt like the the the, the script was a little bit flipped. I was, you know, anytime the defense was on the field, I wanted to be watching because it was so much fun as, as somebody who's played the game and, and how how they did it with Jimnall's pressures and, and system. So, um, yeah, looking looking forward to, to watching those two guys, especially. Schedule-wise uh, for OSU uh, of conference games, Baylor, K-State, and OU all on the road. Uh, you know, three of probably the you know, biggest matchups in the entire league that year for OSU. Not an easy task uh, for some of your biggest games to be road trips like that. No, it's not. And, and you know, like I talked about when we were talking about Spencer Sanders, you're going to have to have him be consistent in those games. Going on the road is, is a time where you need consistency and you need him to play his best ball because those are going to be – like you said, three of the probably better teams uh, in the Big 12. And, um, you know, I, I really think that anytime you get those opportunities, it allows you to, to put your best foot forward. And we talk about being a premier program, being a flagship program for the new Big 12. When you go on the road and those games are on TV and you play well, that's just a great opportunity. Um, and not to mention during a season, you know, anytime that you can go on the road and make a, make a statement when that helps you for that season in the, in the ranking system. So, um, you know, I look at that as a great opportunity. Obviously those are going to be tough games and those are going to be tough teams, but um, you know, to, to, to be where you want to be in the end, you've got to go out and, and, and win those games. Yeah. Uh, I'm also shocked looking at the schedule that OSU would even play central Michigan after the uh, debacle a few years ago, that, uh, that extra down that shouldn't have happened, but nonetheless, uh, That'll be the opener. I, I I would think that uh that might be one where uh, where Gundy isn't afraid to get an extra couple scores or two at the end of the game if they can. Yeah, yeah, I think we owe those guys a couple. Hopefully, hopefully the team. You know, last year the team started out pretty slow. I think that you typically don't have a uh, a non-power five out of conference matchup that you circle, but I think this is one of those few cases where you could probably mark this one down on the calendar and say, we've got to get up for this one because, you know, of what happened a couple years ago. Right. And then the, the Arizona state game, the week following, um, bringing a team like Arizona state to Stillwater, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it doesn't feel like that we we've seen a whole lot of, Big-time non-conference opponents come to Stillwater. Boise State made a trip several years ago, but uh, nice to see a, a Power 5 school making uh, this type of visit here, Clint. Yeah, maybe a, a, a future Big 12 matchup, and that's exciting. And anytime you get big-name brands like that, you know, uh, I think it's great and, and better for exposure. But, yeah, I'm probably missing one. I know, uh, you know, Georgia came to town in 2009, um, and that's, that's probably the biggest – biggest uh school that, that's been brought in um out of conference so uh, yeah you know i think you, you're going to sh- continue to see with the the changing landscape of, of these these power five or you know however many conferences are going to be left uh schools have to match up until until we get the the conferences figured out and somebody you know if they go to nine game schedules in in, in multiple conferences but for the time being i think it's great um you know anytime you can you can bolster your your uh your seasons uh I guess resume. That's that's a good opportunity to do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, looking uh, at the Big Twelve as a whole, uh, Clint, uh, who stands out to you? We, we know Oklahoma's got a new head coach. A lot of expectations about Baylor with Dave Aranda and company. Uh, three Big Twelve teams, including Oklahoma State, in the uh, AP Top Twelve should be a very competitive league. I would think it should be. Yeah, I expect it to be be as competitive as it's ever been. I, I think if you look back over the last 
you know, five to 10 years. Um, and, and again, I'm probably missing a year, but I can't remember a year where it felt this open. Um, I, I really can't. There's so many question marks, the whole regime, regime change at OU, um, bringing in a quarterback that's, um, you know, not really played. He's, he's played a lot of games, hasn't played, you know, really many big 12 games, obviously coming from, from uh, Florida, UCF. but yeah. Yeah. From UCF. I, I think Dylan Gabriel's an ultra talented guy. I know you, you know, always makes do with what they have at quarterback. I think we've seen that, but you know, Quinn Ewers down in Texas, what's he going to be like? Has it really played many games. You, you've got Blake Shape and a younger guy at, at Baylor. Um, so I think there's just been a ton of turnover. You, you know, I, I don't really know what to expect. I, I think that there's there's five or six teams that if they get hot at the right time and, and the schedule falls the right way, um, that, that they could be, you know, right there at the end for the title. Who's uh, who's a sleeper, uh, you think, in the league? I mean, beyond that first tier, and, and I, I wouldn't even count Texas because we, we still know how talented they are. Just a matter of things put together. Who do you think uh, is, is that next team that could surprise some people? I'm hearing a lot of people talk about K-State. Uh, you know, who, who's somebody that comes to mind, you think, of that next group, you think? Yeah, you know, I think I think Kansas State is almost uh, – they were so underrated that now they're kind of being properly rated, right? I mean, they've got Adrian Martinez in there. But, you know, I think – I think West Virginia could be a, a team that, that plays pretty well and maybe has one or two games that, that shocks some people. You know, they've got JT Daniels in there, transferred from Georgia. I think he's a, he's a very talented guy. And anytime you have talent at the quarterback position, you can you can make some things happen in this league. And that that that's what I expect from him. Neil Brown's done a great job there. Um, and so I expect I expect them to maybe sneak up on one or two people. I would say out of that next group, maybe West Virginia has a, has a, a few weeks that we say, okay, they uh, – you got to get ready for them. Well, and, and you bring up a good point with JT Daniels. I hear everybody talking about, you know, Shapin, Dylan Gabriel, Quinn Ewers, you know, Spencer Sanders. I mean, here's a guy at Daniels that, I mean, he was at USC in Georgia for a reason, a former five-star quarterback. I mean, um, he's just had some bad luck. I mean, the, the, the guy's super talented, just hasn't really had the, the right chance, it seems. Uh, finally, it could be an opportunity to break through here at West Virginia. Yeah. And you nailed it. You know, you're not, you're not going to those schools unless you're one of the, the, you know, five or 10 most talented people at the position in your class. So uh, the talent's there, you know, uh, he, he's bounced around, but if he's found a home and, and he puts that together with his talent, I think, I think they could really do some, some special things. Yeah. Uh, Quinn Ewers, uh, let me, let me ask you about him. Uh, so much hype <laughs> coming out, you know, one of the highest rated quarterbacks ever, uh, I mean, that, that, that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot to live up to. And then you add in the fact that at Texas and how down they've been the last couple of years, um, do you think he's ready for what, he, what he's getting himself into here? I mean, that, that, that seems like a lot for a young guy to take on. It does, yeah. Um, and, and, and that'll be the question, right? How does he handle that, that pressure? And, and not to mention, you know, they're already talking about Arch Manning coming in and, and the money they're throwing at him. So he's got, he's got some competition coming in in, you know, the next couple of years. So um, it is a lot of pressure. And I think, you know, anytime you go to, you know, Ohio State and then transfer, you know, you're going to these big, big brand programs that you've got to understand the pressure that comes along with that, right? And um, I, I wish I had more uh, knowledge of his his game. I, he, I just haven't seen him play very much. But, but by yeah. all accounts, he's he's you know one of the the top uh, most talented guys that's ever come out of Texas to play the position. So um, you know he's obviously got all all the abilities. 
can he handle the pressure? Can he put it together? And if they, if he can, a situation much like we just talked about with JT Daniels at West Virginia, all that talent, and you find the right situation, and Steve Sarkeesian can, can bring that out of them, they could be, you know, obviously a, a very good team because we know the rest of the team is going to be talented, right? I mean, Texas always has talent at, at mainly every position, but can they put it together? Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. You know, it seems like uh, you know, the identity for this league, Clint, you were a part of this too, has been offense and, and quarterbacks. And last year was, was kind of a down year on that front. But this year of whether it's, you know, Gabriel in Oklahoma, you know, we mentioned Shapin, Ewers, uh, you know, some, you know, some of the others here, Spencer Sanders, uh, you know, Adrian Martinez coming in. It seems like that the Big 12 this year is kind of getting back to that identity of offenses and, and, and very good quarterbacks. I would expect a lot of points uh, this year league-wide probably. Yeah, yeah, I think I think the uh, the ability to transfer I think has has helped that situation out a lot because I think if you look at it, people really when you think of the Big Twelve, you think of points, you think of quarterbacks, and these kids know that. And so when they get the opportunity to transfer and they can go to a Big Twelve school, they'll know they know that they they'll get to go out and, and air it out and throw the ball and have fun with it. So I think that you know that's really kind of changed the position back in the, into the Big Twelve where it's where it's a quarterback driven league. But I will say. You know, last year um, was a bit of a down year with quarterbacks, but there were some really good defenses last year in the Big 12. And, yes. and you know, between Oklahoma State, Baylor, there's, there's always, you know, OU always plays pretty solid defense. Texas is good. But, um, you know, I think I think there's going to be some some good defenses again this year. And so it'll be really fun to see, you know, how those matchups work out as far as, um, you know, these quarterbacks that are coming in, either new or learning a new system against some of these these teams that have have talent on, on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think Dave Aranda gave kind of kind of a wake-up call to the league on being physical and defense. I mean, you look at that Oklahoma game last year, you know, they beat OU bad at the line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, part of the reason I think like a Brent Venables hire is made because you, you want to see them get more physical and tougher. I mean, that, that Lincoln Riley brand of, of football, of, you know, finesse, I, I don't think wasn't going to fly in – in the SEC for, for a school like OU with uh, with what they saw getting beat up by like by Baylor last year. Right. And, uh, you know, Dave Aranda, in, in my opinion, is one of the top five or ten best college football coaches in the country. Uh, and he brings that that mindset from LSU that, you know, we're going to we're going to win on the defensive side of the ball up front and on the offensive side of the ball up front. And I think that's what it takes, uh, you know, in this league to to kind of if you're going to play that way, if you want to be physical, it starts up front. And, it, and if you want to beat these air raid teams, you want it starts up front. And um, I expect Baylor to try to do that again this year. Uh, their defensive front is, is going to be as good as anybody in the country, I think, probably outside of, you know, Alabama and Georgia. But, uh, yeah, he, he definitely changed the paradigm uh, in the Big 12, and, and everybody's having to adjust. And, um, you know, I know Oklahoma State is, has been – building towards that, trying to get those guys up front on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. And especially uh, it's come together the last, last year and hopefully this year on the, on the defensive front. But uh, yeah, I think Baylor is definitely pushing, pushing the edge on, on, on what, you know, how to win the league and, and yeah. they're going to continue to do that. Last question, Lynn, on this, uh, Clint, uh, I saw all the money the big 10 got in their TV deal last week. And I was thinking, you know, guys like you that kind of paved the way, aren't getting any of this and, and uh, you know, for, for what, what these guys are getting now. And 
and going forward, all this type of TV money. I mean, I, I imagine that would have been nice uh, if the if the players would have gotten some. I mean, uh, whether it was you guys back then or these guys now, I mean, we always heard there's just not enough money. Uh, <laughs> I, I think there might be a little bit of money out there for these guys here. Yeah, I don't, I don't quite know if they're they're willing to make that argument now when when they're signing what, seven and a half billion dollar TV contracts. So um, yeah, you know. NIL has, has changed the game as far as being able to put some money in some of the players' pockets. But, you know, the next, I guess, step that probably someone's going to come along that's way smarter than me and figure out as a player or, or somebody who represents a player is that we need to try to get in on this TV money, right? I mean, there's so much of it, and, and you know, they're the product. So, uh, you know, in, in an ever-changing landscape of college football, I think, is those numbers become – become you know more public and, and people start to realize how big college football is uh financially that um uh, yeah i'll be interested to see if, if somebody doesn't try to make a push to to get involved uh get the players involved in some of this this big tv money yeah for sure clint we're out of time appreciate you joining us man uh check him out on the osu radio network all season long on twitter as well you can follow clint uh at uh Seat shelf 10. Clint, appreciate the time, man. We'll be uh, talking again down the line. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Go, folks.